Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Um, I'm going to ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Same book, different title. We'll get into that in a moment because that's actually really, really important. But you can open up to the first chapter. For those of you who don't have your Bibles, you can also look on the screen. Okay, sorry, I got some sniffles <laughs> from before. <laughs> it's not good for the recording. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm uh, super excited to jump into this word. Today is going to be a little bit on the uh, introductory uh, um, level, but um, before I jump into our text, I'm only going to share the first few verses today. Uh, we're going into a series entitled Bridal Generation. Uh, the other day when I was, when I was running, um, I just felt that uh, I was asking the Lord for an in-season word, right? The, Solomon says that there's actually a season for all things. And, uh, and so you can have the right word, but it could be out of season. And so we want, we want a word that's in season. And I just felt for us that when I was, I was running, I, I just knew the Lord said bridal generation. It was deeply tied into what we shared last week. And so what I want to do before we jump into the text, and again, we're just going to share just a few verses today. Um, I just want to quickly recap where we were last week because it really ties into what, how the Lord laid this on my heart. And then um, I just want to give some background on this book because we're going to be spending some time in it over the next few weeks. And, uh, and then we'll jump into some of the verses. So first and foremost, last week we spoke about a topic. We called it uh, buying oil. It was a parable of the ten virgins. And, and what, what, one of the things that was highlighted outside of the cultivating oil through intimacy, which was a big part, although that ties into this as well. But one of the things that really highlighted, was highlighted to me is that Jesus gives that parable as a connection to a question asked in Matthew 24 by the disciples, which was, what will be the signs of your return and the coming of the end of the age? And Jesus lists all of these signs, and I think it's significant and timely because a lot of those signs we're seeing, we've seen them happen. Listen, these shakings have happened from the beginning, but we're seeing, I feel like, an intensification of these things. And so in that, I was just inclined to this portion of Scripture, and I saw that Matthew 25 is still a, a continual flow of Jesus' response of, here's another sign of me drawing near. And this sign was that, he says, that the kingdom of heaven, he says, at that time or then, meaning when, when you see all these signs of earthquakes and pestilence and all this, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this, 10 virgins who have lamps and they go out to meet the bridegroom. And the point is, is that Jesus begins to liken the church to a bride. And so there's something about the church coming and flowing in the identity of a bride as we are drawing near to the return of the Lord. And this began to stir my heart because I said, man, I want to know what does it mean to be a bride of Christ? And when I began to look in the scriptures, God began to remind me of Revelation 22:17, where Jesus, where it says in the scripture that the spirit and the bride say, come this is literally how it ends. There is such a unity between the Holy Spirit and the church that they are both crying out, come. But the point is, is that the church, we are, we are sheep, we are family, uh, we, are, we are all, we're servants, we are all of these things. But there's something about as we draw near to Christ's coming that we're going to come under this primary lens of being a bride. It's throughout scripture. Hosea testifies to it as well. We shared that in the day of the Lord's return, 
God says, you will no longer call me my master. You will say my husband. And, and so Jesus is, listen, he's, he's judge, he's king, he's all of these things. He's shepherd. He doesn't, these things are not deny uh, uh, being, uh, uh, you know, absent of, of, of him. But what's happening is when he comes, there's going to be this dominant way that he is coming uh, in, in his second coming. And even I believe before the second coming, I just see in the scriptures that even though there's resistance rising, there's going to be great revival and there's going to be these tremendous waves that will come before a second coming. And I believe they're going to be bridal revelation. And so this isn't critical because scriptures say, here's a sign of my return. The church is going to function in a way it never has as a bride, right? I see this happening in small levels with certain individuals and ministries, but I believe it's going to start happening on a global scale where people are going to operate. In this, And so we need to be firmly established in what does it mean to be a bride of Christ? What does bridal identity mean? Because, for, for, first and foremost, I desire, I desire to be a, a, um, a people that are positioned for influence. I want to be a people that are positioned to make impact. And I believe that those who are operating and established and rooted in being a bride are going to be those that God is going to, going to raise up to places of influence and intimacy. They are the ones that are going to be a, a voice. And so I want us as a body to be uh, flowing with the Lord in this way so that we are a voice. Like we are someone that God is looking to, to speak into what is coming because we are operating in this identity that, that again, is so connected to his return. Um, Jesus, Jesus, as I shared last week, I just want to recap this as well. He's returning as a bridegroom, okay? That's the primary way it says that he's coming. All the scriptures talk about it ending as a marriage feast. So he's a king, which emphasizes power. He's a judge, which emphasizes zeal. But the bridegroom emphasizes desire, passion. So when Jesus comes back, he, one of the marks is he's coming back passionately for his bride, for his church. And one of the marks that you see of a church being made ready or, or being alert, being prepared, is the fact that they are ready. They are a bride who's been made ready. And I believe that one of the primary things that that emphasizes is that a ready bride is one that is equally yoked to him. Meaning that with the same desire and passion that he is coming with, the bride, the church, is reciprocating that same passion and desire for him. He is not coming back for a bride that is just one foot in and one foot out. He's not coming back for a bride who's just waiting for their passport to be stamped so that they can go into heaven. He's coming back for an alive bride, a pure bride, a holy bride, a bride whose hearts are set on fire for him. And I say, Lord, I want to know what this is because I want to be... I mean, I want to be, if you will, maybe not the best of language, but on the inside, when these waves of bridal re revival come, I want to be someone that you can look to to be an instrument to move, move uh, um, your people to see you rightly as you are coming as, as the bridegroom. And so I, I, think, I think from what we're about to study, we're going to see, these are some things the Lord was speaking to me, we're going to see a manifestation of what I call a first commandment lifestyle which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We hear this and say, oh, I learned that in Sunday school. No, no, no. I believe that we're going to come into a greater awareness of the depth of what it means to love the Lord your God. Jesus literally said to, to a man who asked him, what is it all about? He says, you want to know what it's all about? He says, everything comes down to this. It boils down to one thing. Love God. <laughs> 
What does that look like? We see in the text at times individuals who I think love him rightly, and it's amazing how it so disrupts the, the religious status quo of the day when you actually find someone who's offering up proper affections for his worth. And so I, I think we're going to grow in first commandment because, this is why, because we love because he first loved us. So the more we encounter, see, there's something that happens when you encounter the emotions and the desire of the bridegroom for you. It wrecks you in the best of way. It does not cause you to just walk in this weak way as so many think. It actually grips your heart and leads you to be so fascinated with him that you, you walk in a deeper level of obedience. And I pray that you would receive that this week. I believe that we're going to see the church operating in a level of boldness we've never seen. Because perfect love casts out fear. It drives out fear. It expels fear. So as we start to study the passion of the bridegroom for us, I believe it's going to dislodge fear and shame and insecurities and all these things in our heart that so affect and poison the way we see God and the way we walk. And the more we receive this perfect love, it's going to drive it out, and we're going to be a bold, holy, set-apart bride that is so on fire for him. One other thing I want to share that, that we went into last week, that again, this is important because we're going to spend a few weeks on this, is that bridal identity, there's so much confusion, and we need to understand this, especially as men. I know we joke around, men say, what, what does this mean? I got to put on the dress? Um, that is not what's happening here at all. Bridal identity has nothing to do with gender. Okay, just as sonship, it doesn't exclude women. It's a, it's a relationship we have with the Father. It speaks to us being co-heirs with Christ. Bridal identity is not about being masculine or feminine. It's about proximity to his heart. It's about connection with him. It's about knowing his emotions for you. It's about living this lifestyle of obedience because you are so in love with him. And I want, I want the men to listen up to this especially. J James and John were called sons of thunder. Now, John especially was a son of thunder, which means this man was, if I could put it this way, he was a manly man. <laughs> He was aggressive. Like, you look at some of his stuff, he wanted to call down fire on people. This was an intense dude, John. But John was also the one who said he identified himself as the one whom Jesus loves. He is also the one who rested his head on the bosom of Jesus. See, being a bride does not negate masculinity. You can be a son of thunder and say, I'm the one whom he loves. Oh, I rest his head on his bosom. There's something so sweet about being a bride. David was a mighty warrior, mighty warrior. Oh, but there was none other like him when it comes to a worshiper. He lifted his heart up to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. Look through the Psalms and see how he stirred and moved the heart of God and how God moved his heart. This is what it begins to look like to be a bride. And this, as I was running, and, and the Lord said, bridal generation, and man, I just feel like there was just so much life on this run. I was going, and God was speaking, and I want to share this, that um, I think this is so important for why we need to grab a hold of what we're talking about, is because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, there are these descriptions given about Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and the Lord highlighted this one to me, and I wasn't sure why, but it says that his voice is the sound of many waters. And so as I, was, as I was running, I said, okay, I know that this emphasizes his voice is powerful, right? Like this is the voice that when it speaks into chaos, light and life and order came. It's, it's the voice that speaks into death and life comes out of that. I mean, this is, this, is, this is a powerful voice. This is the voice that we said that prunes us, right? 
But the Lord began to speak to me that the sound of many waters is not just power, it's also diversity. There's many waters, which means Jesus can come many ways. And the way in which he comes is primarily directed by his voice. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. So when he comes and he speaks as many waters, there are times where he will come as judge. There are times where he will come as king. He's always these things, but there are times where this will be the dominant theme. And there's times where he will come as bridegroom, as husband. And the way that we know, uh, the way that we distinguish how he's coming is there will be a distinctness to his voice. And I, I think this is critical because if we don't know that voice, we will actually dismiss it being the voice of God. Not only that, but I think that we'll find ourselves even offended by that voice. Jesus spoke in John 6. He gave a hard teaching. He says, my, my flesh is body. <laughs> I mean, my body is flesh to eat, right? And he says, and my, my blood is, is, is drink. And people said, what does this mean? It was a spiritual application, but they got offended by the language and they walked away. And I believe that if we are not rooted in bridal language, when we start having the bridegroom come through the voice of a husband and of a lover, we're going to say, wait a minute, no, 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 no. This can't be him. I've never heard him speak to me this way and will actually be offended by that language. And I've seen so many hearts, myself included early on, get offended by this talk because I didn't fully grasp or understand um, how to relate to God this way. So for all these reasons, we are just trying to really... Be established in this, understand it, because I believe we're going to see more and more. This is how we're going to interact with God. So I hope um, that makes, makes clear sense to you. So the Song of Songs. Again, I'm just going to share a few verses here, but I want to, I want to just give us some introductory thought here because we'll spend a few weeks on this book. Uh, we'll probably maybe even spend some um, teachings, do some teachings from other books as well that highlight what it means to be a bride. But we're going to primarily speak through Song of Songs. And this book, I don't know if you've, if you've ever read it. Um, if you haven't, I encourage you to, to dive into this. It is so poetic. And because of the way it's written, every line could be a sermon. Because it's, it's poetry and there's symbolism, there are just these layers of application when you read through it. It is full of life and it's full of revelatory knowledge of the heart of God for us. And man, when you encounter this, it just, it rocks you and it changes you. And so there are basically two ways that you can read any book of the Bible. You can read it systematically which means you go line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, or you can read it thematically, which is basically you look for key themes. And we're going to really go through the latter. I'm not going to go necessarily line by line, but we're just going to look for certain themes that I feel can really help us again to, to be grounded in what it means to be, to be a bride. All right? Uh, I encourage you to, to fill in the rest and study and read this because it's going to be uh, super, super sweet. Um, this book... This is important to note. This book is often misunderstood. There are two applications. There's, an, a, there's a natural interpretation and there's a spiritual interpretation. And what I mean by that is the natural is, is that this is a story, a love story between an actual man and a woman, an actual husband and a bride-to-be. It's between Solomon, who represents the bridegroom, and the bride, who is a Shulamite woman. So you can absolutely approach this book of Song of Songs by using it as a way to teach into natural marriage. You can use it to teach into covenant and faithfulness and even sexuality. And there's a lot that it speaks into these things. It can be used and applied rightly in that way. 
But like all books of the Bible, the spiritual application or interpretation is the fact that on a larger scale, the bridegroom Solomon speaks to Jesus himself and the bride, the Shulamite woman, represents the church, believers, me and you. And I, that's the way we're going to be addressing this. And I believe, man, that's, that's just like, it's such a beautiful way when you see this. And sadly, there are many who actually, again, the language gets offensive. And it's tough and it's challenging because you can read some stuff and say, no, like, we, th- this just can't be right. And listen, we're not saying that Jesus is our boyfriend. That, that's not what we're getting at. We're talking about a holy bride. Um, that's not, that's not, you know, when we talk about even today, the kisses of God, we're not actually like literally kissing God. These are, but these are deep symbolisms of to understand the, the type of intimacy that God wants with us. And for those that struggle with seeing Jesus in this, this, I just have to share these things because we're going to be here for a few weeks. Um, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he, he encountered two disciples Um, On the road to Emmaus was these two men that just left Jerusalem. Jesus had died, uh, was buried, and they were so discouraged and so basically really just hopeless. They said, we we placed our hope in Jesus, and it's not. He he isn't the Messiah. Jesus appears to them on the road to Emmaus. They can't recognize him, and Jesus is like, what's going on, guys? What are you so upset about? Jesus is funny. He knows exactly what's going on. And they say, well, where, where do you live? You haven't heard Jesus of Nazareth? He died. And he says, guys, basically, how foolish are you? Don't you know the Messiah had to suffer these things? And then it says that he starts in the book of Moses and then goes through the prophets and then teaches how all of the scriptures are concerning himself. Every single scripture of the Old Testament he was pointing to points to Jesus. So if there is something in the Bible that is not pointing to Jesus, it should not be in the Bible, (laughs) which means everything in this word of God In the bigger realm, it all points and is concerning himself. He told the religious leaders, he says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find eternal life, but they point to who? Me. What scriptures are we talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. He says, all of the Old Testament, every scripture points to me, including the songs of songs. Uh, Early church fathers, uh, Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, Augustine, you could go on and on. All of these men knew and believed that this was a song of the greatest love between Jesus and his church. And so the last thing I want to share is that this is absolutely essential that when we go into this book, that we, I, I need this so deeply, we don't just read this book. We, we have to move beyond just being fascinated by the poetic language. It has to get into our hearts. This has to be um, part of our language and our life which means that these truths have to transform us by leading us to encounter Jesus himself. Who in the world would go to a fancy restaurant just to read the menu? <laughs> you go to the, to the restaurant, you read the menu, the menu helps to obtain an incredible meal. This book is a menu. We don't just stop with reading it and being able to recite it. We are allowing this meal to lead us to consume the one it testifies about, which is Jesus, the bridegroom. There is something beautiful on the other side of this study, but you've got to let it move you past into actual encounter. In fact, that's one of the most beautiful themes about this book is that Jesus, the bridegroom, you can touch him, you can taste him, you can experience him. The Bible says his, the lips of God is like honey, It's not callous information that comes out. It's sweetness. It's like there's this place where he is beautiful and good and and we desire him. So I'm just praying that your hearts would be moved by these things as we read it. So here's 
Here's two things that you can do as we're reading this book that can help you and help me to grow is number one, pray over the truths that you know are not manifesting in your life. For example, Brittany in prayer before we had worship today was praying a scripture from chapter one where the bridegroom says, oh, you are so lovely to me. Now I hear that and guess what? You know what something says? Eh, that's for the person next to me. I don't really think he sees me that way. If you encounter truths like that in this book, you have to get before him and sit with him and allow that truth to move from here until it permeates your soul and you know it's a part of your being. It's really easy. I can do it. I can recite these things. I can even teach them, but I don't let it affect my heart. We have to let these things affect our heart. And the second thing is that is helpful is there's a lot of symbolism in this book that speaks to the culture of the day. Weird stuff, raisin cakes, <laughs> all stuff like this. And, and, and what I, what I want to share is that they all have beautiful meaning. Here's what can help you to grow in applying it to your heart. Don't get so stuck on knowing the exact wording. Understand the meaning of it. Once you know the meaning of what these things are expressing, put that into your language before God rather than saying, Lord, I'm like a raisin cake. Because <laughs> it still has, it has a hard time. Um, maybe that helps you, but for me, I need to be able to put in a word and say, okay, this is what it means, and I'm now going to encounter God this way. All right. So we are just, again, I'm only reading verses 2 to 4. I gave a lot of information up front because I want us to be on the same page for the weeks to come. We're going to teach this again in themes. Um, today, if you want to give a title to it, it's called The Kisses of God. The Kisses of God. We're going to read verses uh, 2 through 4 primarily. But, man, this is so good. The opening verse, the opening verse, verse 1, um, uh, it's, it's actually the title of the book. And in your translation, it says it's the Song of Songs. Now, Song of Solomon is right, but this, oh, this moves my heart when I hear this. Because Song of Songs, this warrants an entire message in itself because this is a Jewish expression that is used often. We probably hear it something like this, the Holy of Holies. See, it's an expression, but can you imagine the difference between the holy place and the Holy of Holies? There was a world of difference like this. When they use this expression, it means you cannot get any holier than this. This is set apart. Jesus is the king of kings. How far above is Jesus beyond every earthly king? You can't even compare it. That's what this expression leads you into. There is such a vast ocean that begins to come between what is being compared. When it says that this song is the song of songs, the Holy Spirit moved Solomon to say that there is no other song like this. 1 Kings 4.32 says that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs, but this is the song of songs. This song, this song, the Holy Spirit said, Solomon, I want you to give this the title, Song of Songs. This one, like the Holy of Holies, is separated from the holy place. This song is so sacred to my heart, it's separated from every other one. Do, do you know that in the scriptures, there are so many songs that are written when the Israelites crossed to the Red Sea, there were songs of deliverance, songs of redemption, songs of thanksgiving, songs of, you know, God's faithfulness. Uh, and th these songs would be sung all the time. But all of those songs, the Holy Spirit never led any writer of those songs to say, call this the song of songs. Never once did the Holy Spirit say, this is a song of songs. All of those songs actually culminate with this song right here. They are beautiful and powerful, but they all pale in comparison to what is about to be offered here. For this is at the highest realm, because it speaks to God's greatest desire in his heart. Union, intimacy with us. All of those other songs, those songs that the Israelites would sing, they were meant for the public arena. 
They would be sung in the temple. They'd be sung in the assemblies. They'd be sung in the streets. They'd be sung in the, in the, in the open places for man to hear, but not this song. This song is restricted between the one who sings it and the one who receives it. This is a song restricted between the lover and the beloved. And the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to call this the song of songs and say that this is the greatest song because it reveals God's greatest desire. To commune with you, fellowship with you. My heart is stirred already. (laughs) We are reading the song of songs. Solomon didn't pen that. He did, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. This is how God views this song, this love relationship. And so here we go. I'm just going to share a few minutes here. Starting in verse 2. So good. This is the bride, the Shulamite woman. She is speaking to the bridegroom. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. (laughs) I'm going to read this all the way through in a second, but this just caught me. Do Do you see the abruptness that we enter into this? See, this is, there's such a maturity to this book. This is, it starts by her just, there's a cry of the heart, right? This, is, this, is, this cry is from this heart that is set on the Lord, and it's almost, it just explodes how this book starts. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This is the, the cry of the bridegroom. She is saying, oh, there is nothing else I desire in all of the world but this. As I was running, the Lord said this, workers cry out for wages. Students cry out for knowledge. But lovers cry out for a kiss. She cries out for a kiss. What she wants is him more than anything. And she says, for your love is better than wine. Man, it's so good. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you when they know the person of God. They love him. Verse 4, I'll read just the first line here. It says, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So we're just going to start here. I feel like this just gives an introduction for the rest of of our teachings on this. But this kiss, there's something very interesting. It says that it's the kiss of a mouth. So let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now that's a strange wording because when you kiss, what else could you kiss with? (laughs) I don't want to know if someone's tried. (laughs) But you can only kiss with the mouth. (laughs) You can only kiss with the mouth. And I began to think about this and just pour over the scripture. And I, re- I just remember that there are actually many scenes where man kisses God, but, but then vice versa, where actually God kisses man. And one in particular, the Lord reminded me of, is the prodigal son. When the prodigal son sins and squanders everything because he thought he'd find satisfaction outside of the realm of God's leadership, he finds it's, it just wasn't there. So he returns home. And when he returns home, it says the father embraces him and kisses him. But this was a kiss on the neck. This kiss signal, uh, signified uh, uh, forgiveness. The kiss of the mouth, the reason why that's being offered is because this is a kiss of intimacy. This is not a kiss of forgiveness. This is a kiss of fellowship. This is a kiss of communion. This is something tender. This is something so sweet. This is something face-to-face. See, this is why I believe the bridal church is going to operate in a level of depth we have never seen before because we are moving from the kiss of forgiveness. Not that we treat that lightly, not that we are not grateful for that, but what I'm saying is we're moving beyond a place that just says, uh, learn how to say no to things. Learn how to avoid the bad things. Learn how to avoid stumbling blocks. For so often, that's what the Christian life has been. But this bride, this bride and this bridal generation is going to learn how to not just receive the kiss of forgiveness, but how to receive the kiss of fellowship. And they're going to grow in a measure of depth with the Lord. First John First John, he wrote about the word of life. 
And you know why he said he, he talked about the word of life? He said the word of life manifested himself for one reason, fellowship, that we could have fellowship with him. Do you know what happens when two, I, I need to use this imagery because this is important. It's strong, but again, remember, it's, it's giving us symbols for the way God connects with us. When two people kiss, right, when two people press their lips upon one another, that is something that we can see with our eyes, but it's actually pointing to something deeper. It's revealing two hearts that are being joined together. See, when she cries out for the kiss of his mouth, what she's really saying is this is a cry for union. Th this is what God has always been after, is for man and God to be reconciled. The kiss of God is what reconciles the human to the divine. This is what we were created with. This is what we lost. This is what Jesus has reinstated, that we could know God in the deepest of union and fellowship now by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the kiss of the mouth this is so beautiful. To, if I could go deeper for those that are following, is that the mouth, the word proceeds from his mouth, the word. So this, this joining together of the divine and the human, this reconciliation is by the means of the word. But who is the word? Jesus himself, the living word, the word of life, which means that man and God find their point of reconciliation through the word, meaning Jesus Christ himself. The God-man who was fully man, fully God, has restored us fully back to the kiss that we were made to live in. It's all about union. John 17, Jesus and his priestly prayer. We don't have much insight into his time with the Father. We know he came away a lot. But John 17, we have access into his prayer. It's beautiful. And it's basically summed up in this. What he prays for is absolute oneness. See, I think that by us going through this teaching series, I think we're actually partnering with the Holy Spirit to give Jesus the desire of his heart. He desires oneness with us. And by us engaging in this, we're saying, Lord, we want to give you what you are after. Fellowship and union with us. Bernard of Clairvaux. He said, the kiss is participation in the life and love of the Trinity. See, we have, been, we have been grafted in. When we are born again of the Spirit, we have been grafted in to the divine life. Not as, not as equals, but as adopted sons and daughters. This is why Jesus said in John 17, I pray that the love of the Father would be in them. Can you, can you picture what he's saying? He's saying the same love that has existed within the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we receive Christ and are born again of the Spirit, we are brought into that circle of love. That same perfect love begins to pass through us and it awakens us. We find life through this. The entire point of the gospel is union with God. The kiss is the coming together of God and man. And this is what it's always been about. There are so many beautiful realities of the gospel, many facets of being, you know, a new life, a new purpose, a new legal position, justified, righteous. But all of these are finer points on a larger arrow pointing to one chief end, which is fellowship union with God himself. The gospel is so much more than just being acquitted for your sins. Thank God it happened, but it was unto something. The, the, the pardon was, is beautiful, but it was unto something. It was to enjoy him, for this is what we lost in the garden. I don't know if there's a better way to illustrate this than with Mary of Magdalene. Um, I don't know if we've ever shared this. I can't remember, but Mary Magdalene, when Jesus resurrected at the tomb, she came to the tomb to find him. She thought she was just going to be paying tribute to him who had died, but she finds that the, the tomb is empty, and she, she's, she's upset by this, and she goes to what she thinks is the garden and says, where did you put my Lord? 
And she engages in this conversation, and really it's Jesus, and finally says, Mary, and she recognizes it's him. And it says she goes to jump on him, and he says, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend. In other words, Mary, the work of the good news, the gospel, it's not yet over. Not yet. He says, don't stop here. Don't cling to me yet. I still need to ascend. Well, what would happen when he ascends? The Spirit of God would come down and live in man. You see... So often we stop at clinging to God in terms of his resurrection and, and his conquering of our old sinful life. Listen to me. We, I'm not belittling that. You can't enter into what I'm talking about until you understand that. But so often we stop right there clinging to that reality when the fullness of it, he says, Mary, don't stop here because there's something else to come. I'm going to come by my spirit and live inside of you. And you will be able to not just live a life of saying no. You're going to live a life of the deepest of fellowship with me by the spirit living in you. The divine and the human will connect again, Mary. This is the good news. Man, this is this expression, it's it's face to face. This kiss, it was a face to face. I think this is so beautiful. Do you remember how Adam was created? <laughs> Adam, when he was created, God made him so beautifully and perfectly, but he still lie lifeless until God came upon him. And it says in verse 7, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In other words, when Adam woke up, what did he wake up to symbolically? To the face of God. Man was created in this realm of intimacy. He was, Sinclair Ferguson said that Adam was created by the kiss of God. We were created by it. We've been redeemed by it. We are sustained by it. You can't live without his kiss. You can't live without being connected to the one that your heart was made for. You'll never be able to survive. And Jesus has made a way. He breathed into his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was the kiss again. Of the word, the, the kiss, the spirit coming through his mouth and allowing man to, to experience God in such an intimate way. The bride wants his kiss. <laughs> Do you notice that? She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She, is, she wants direct contact. <laughs> She's not interested in something secondhand. His kiss means it emphasizes personal relationship. She's not interested in something general. She doesn't want to just have something that, a story about him. She's not interested in just concepts about him. She says, I want this kiss myself. I want to experience him. Oh, how we need Christians and leaders who have made personal contact with God. I've seen in my life how often it's so easy to adopt a language and speak in this intimacy language but not have it. You can speak it all day and still be lifeless. You have to experience it. We had an SUM chapel the other day, and I shared this illustration of of a, of a man, imagine someone walking into your room, this room right here, or perhaps your house from wherever you're listening, and imagine a man walks in, and you haven't seen outside yet, and he says, it's pouring, raining outside, and you'd say, okay, that's his testimony, that must be true, but then imagine that someone comes in shortly after and says, it's pouring, raining outside, and that person is soaking wet through and through, that literally every part of their being, their clothing is drenched. That second person is dripping with the substance of their testimony. When they speak, it's on them. You can see it. We need those who have experienced the kiss of God, who live in this place. So when they speak, they're not just disseminating sound information, as good as that is, but they're releasing life. You can see what they testify to. She says this, this expression, let him kiss me. Do you hear the position she takes? Oh, I've wondered why I so often have a feel like a hard time connecting with the Lord to experience and grow in this fellowship with him because she says, let him kiss me. In other words, she takes a position of yielding, not activity. 
Madame Goyon said that activity often obstructs our union with him. See, when we come to him, it's actually so often all of the things we bring to him, trying to muster up, how can I make connection with him? What, what do I need to pray? How long do I need to worship? What do I need to do? Do, do, do. But all of my activity actually, actually gets in the way of me just saying, no, let him kiss me. Let me experience him. Let him love me. Let him come however you want, Lord. Just come and I'll yield to the way that you are coming. I need to be with you. The other, the other night, um, <laughs> kind of scary actually, but funny, and I think it illustrates this. We did a fire. We just got a fire pit in our house. And the fire, I, I was watering the grass, so the wood was kind of wet, so it never really caught fire as I wanted. So eventually when it was smoldering, I put so many logs, and I'm like, forget it, guys. Let's go to bed. Well, about, uh, and I was messing with it the whole time. I'm trying to get this thing going, stuff in paper. So about like one in the morning, Crystal's shaking me. Wake up, wake up. I look outside. The fire is roaring outside. <laughs> And I'm saying, oh, my goodness, what happened? But, but what, you know, what's interesting is that all of my activity actually was extinguishing the fire. It's when it just sat that it actually started to go. There's a place where you have to tenderly uh, uh, flame it, all right, F uh, fan the flame. But once it goes, if I keep playing with it, you can actually put it out. You actually just have to sit now and just let it burn. And when we come before the Lord, we, we've got to just sit before the Lord and just, man, just, just remove all the... I don't know, the expectations we put on what we need to do and just let him, let him kiss us. Let implies permission. God does not wait for perfection, but he does wait for the consent of heart. See, see a lot of times we don't let him kiss us because we're, we're trying to muster something up to look good in front of him, to get it together. He says, man, I'm not waiting for perfection, but I am waiting for your heart to be ready. And when you just come and say, Lord, here I am in all of my mess, his perfection will begin to perfect your imperfections. That is the way of the gospel. And you say, Lord, here I am. I just, I come vulnerable. I come raw before you. I think so often we don't let him kiss us because we often feel shame and unworthy. In fact, what we shared before in, in verse 5 of this opening chapter, the very next verse, the bride actually says, I am dark. It's, it's big, what she's really saying in, in, in the, the spiritual application is she's talking about feeling unworthy. That's what it means, feeling unworthy before him. And he says, no, but you are lovely. Oh, we need to trust in how he speaks over us. The word is so important for that, to really receive that into our hearts so that we can let him kiss us. Some of us say, I'm just, I've ma I made him wait too long. Oh, you don't understand the heart of your bridegroom then. <laughs> he is waiting again for you to let him, let him come and love on you. Why don't we let him kiss us? I think often we can be so, so busy, right? It always comes back to us, I feel like the attention is all over. Uh, for me, I know that I can often, um, uh, one of my, my challenges is that I, I tend to like always be thinking. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to be in the moment. And it's interesting. There are times where my wife, when we're maybe cleaning or doing something in the kitchen, she'll, she'll say, Andrew, <laughs> to try to get my attention. And I'm just going, 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 thinking, thinking. And say, Andrew. And then finally she comes and she will, she'll grab me and say, Andrew. And it's kind of that thing at first where I'm like, what? And I'm still looking around like, what am I going to do? She's like, look at me. And then when she has my attention, she'll be like, I love you. And then she'll kiss me. But see, I, I need to stop from that. And I feel like the Lord is like, let me kiss you, meaning stop. Stop looking at all the stuff. No, but I've got to do this. I'm doing that. I'm not, I'm failing here. I'm failing. And he's just like, stop. Let me kiss you right there. Let me love you right there. And that changes you when that happens. Man, I hope you guys are following me from home. Uh, can I just keep going on this? You guys good? <laughs> we got thumbs up here, so we're going. Songs of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 5. She says this, she says, refresh me, for I am lovesick. 
refresh me, for I am love sick. So chapter one, she cries out for the kisses of God. By chapter two, she's saying, I'm lovesick, <laughs> which means what has caused the love sickness is the fact that she has received the kiss of God. This is what produces that love sickness is, is the ache for God. How do you know you've encountered the living God? Is because you have received, you've touched him and your heart, you, I don't know if you've ever experienced, it's that love sickness. It's like, man, I'm just living without him. He's there, I'm there, but I'm living without an awareness of him. I just want him. Only if you have touched him will you know and have that feeling and say, man, I crave, I long for that. I don't even want food. I just want him. I mean, David expressed this over and over in the Psalms of how his heart ached. He longed for God. His soul thirsted because why? Because he had experienced him. Like experiencing God will wreck you in the best of ways. It's like having that amazing meal, your favorite meal from a place. Wherever you, whenever you go somewhere else to try to have it, you're always comparing it back to that other thing. Once you have God in that way, it's like, man, no, it's, it's nothing like him. Psalm 84.3, David said, my soul pines after thee. That means to faint. He's literally like, I am so aching to encounter you and touch you, Lord. Gordon Fee said, when a man receives the spirit, divine perfection does not set in, but divine infection does. <laughs> When you receive the Spirit, there's something where you become infected. I think um, Eric Gilmore says, inf inf infection with affection. <laughs> Your heart is now, you say, I need more, I want more, I want to know him more. The kiss of God kills the old man. Old desires and pursuits, competition, comparison, jealousy, sins, self-consciousness, all of this stuff is killed with a kiss. It's, he's so good that when you encounter him and you experience this communion, all of the other inferior pursuits fall away. Fascination with him reveals just how insufficient all these other things are that you have chased after. And so let me just read these last two verses again so you can see it and we'll close. She says this in, uh, in the back end of verse 2 and then verse 3. She says, For your love, your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. So as she experiences this kiss, she's saying that the, the beginning of loving Jesus is understanding his person. Your love is better than wine. When, when you drink wine, you drink, you become intoxicated, you come under its influence, right? When you, no one drinks wine without a feeling. There's a feeling that you have. See, the love of God is not a theory. It's not an idea. Everyone can talk about God's love, God's beauty, I've been there. But there's actually something you can sense and unless you have that, you'll go looking for somewhere else. People get scared of this, of the experiential knowledge of God. No, he, this is what this book is testifying to. This is what it, it testifies in other places. You have to. He actually satisfies your heart. If you don't experience that, you'll go looking somewhere else. Romans 5.5 5 says that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God unto our hearts. Literally, we're saturated. The love of God is intense. It's deep. It's palpable. You can sense it. You can feel it. And once you have it, it's, it's what you crave because it's what your heart was made, made for. The Spirit wants to take us beyond just saying no, but to be intoxicated with Christ, to be so in love with Him we live in this place. And then she says, your anointing oils. Jesus is the anointed one, right? She says there's such a sweet fragrance to the anointing oils. Well, we know that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. One oil, many fragrances. The oil of gladness, power, purity, kindness. And when we see those things, it's so beautiful. It says that actually that your name is oil poured out. Even your name is attractive. The name of Jesus, when it's lifted up, even that draws hearts. In, in Songs of Solomon 4.10, it says that the bride, 
the bride actually begins to have this beautiful fragrance. In other words, as the bride communes with the bridegroom, the, the fragrance is actually imparted to her. She begins to smell this way. It's the idea of beholding and being transformed. But there's one part I just want to share in this that I think is so beautiful, and that's that the fragrance of spices and flowers, that fragrance is produced by their internal properties. And what has to happen a lot of times is you have to crush the fragrance or you have to crush the flower or the spice for that fragrance to come out. The love of Jesus is motivated by his beautiful thoughts, affections, and emotions towards you. But on the cross, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The Son of Man was crushed, and the fragrance of his love was released. We got to see at the cross all of those affections and thoughts that he has towards us, his pursuit of us, was manifested and revealed when he was crushed. The, fa the fragrance came out and said, oh my goodness, this is how much he loves me. And finally, we'll finish right here. Go ahead, Ray, if you don't mind. Ray's my sound guy. <laughs> He's my dude. He's in the back, always ready. Is <laughs> this last verse. It says this. It says, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. The chamber is the bedroom. It's the secret place. It's the place where there's no noise. There's all the hustle and busyness. It's, it's gone. And so she craves for this kiss. She says, man, when I experience you, your love is better than wine. Your oils are just, they're so attractive. And then she says, now draw me. She wants to, she wants to just be alone with him. Lovers love to be alone. They instinctively seek to come away because they want one voice. They want to see one face. This is how you know, like, Jesus has touched you, is there's that part of you that says, man, I love my family. I do. That's biblical. I love the work. I love all this. But there's times in the day where there's something inside of me that says, I just can't wait to get alone with him. I just want to be with him. And what's so incredible is that if you go through chapter 2 especially, the bridegroom keeps telling her, come away. See, with the same desire that you find delight in him, he finds that delight in you. The same way you say, I just want to be away and look upon you, he says, well, I want to do the same. I want your attention to me. And I'll, I'll close with this. this. This imagery is so beautiful. It's intense. This is where, again, it can, you've got to process through this. But the king's chamber is what? It's the bedroom. The bedroom is a place of reproduction. And this is actually something really, really important is that in my life, a lot of my frustration is God has planted things in me. There's things that he said, I want to see these desires manifest and be birthed in your life. But the lack of seeing it manifest is because I haven't learned to come away to the chamber with him. Because that's the place where the desires that he gives us are given, they, there's birth given to them. You have to learn to live a life of intimacy. All of the doing, there's a part for that. But we must learn the secret to come away. I believe it was Eric who said when he came to our school of the presence that no one gets pregnant holding hands. And I never forgot that. And it's strong language, but he's saying, man, you, you, if you want to see the life of Christ consume you, come through you, live through where it's him living, no longer you, you can't just be content with contact in the public place. He wants to bring you away. In fact, he said, I remember this now, he said, if I could be more vivid, he says, there's things that I won't do with my wife in the public that I'll do in the private place. In other words, there's things that Jesus wants to tell you and show you. It's not something sexual. That's not what I mean. It's, it's, it's a place of intimacy that he wants to share his heart with you, and he's not going to do it in the crowds. He says, come away with me to the chamber. 
that's so, so important. Desire can't give you, desire alone won't give you the things that God has placed in your heart. You can desire a child, but desire is not enough. Simply declaring it over you is important. Words are powerful. But if I just say, I'm this, I'm this in Christ, I'm this in Christ, there's a new movement. Just say who you are and somehow it'll happen. No, that's important. But I need to live in him for those things to actually be lived through me. Have to. I want us to avoid adopting language. I want us to avoid the trap of having new terminology, new lifestyles, new habits, new friends. But at the end of the day, the same old sin cycles, we feel like we can't break them. We're still secretly sinning and we can't stop it. We can speak these nice things, but it's because we haven't learned to come away where there's life transformation, life exchange, so that we'll see the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our lives. So I had, I'm going to stop there. There's some other things that I could share, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to save that for weeks, weeks to come. But that's the, the kisses of God. So I just pray that your heart is stirred this morning to receive that. Um, why don't you, wherever you are, just, just post your heart for this last minute as we pray to, um, to just come quietly before the Lord right now. Come quietly before him. I feel strongly just that idea of let him kiss me. It's not about you obtaining perfection. He's looking for the consent of your heart. If you feel like you just had a hard time connecting, it could be because you've just been trying too much. As we'll see in weeks to come, he's the one who stands at the door and says, open to me. He desires to have this fellowship with you. If your life just feels dry, if you feel like you have vocabulary, but your heart is just not in sync with that, I implore you to come away. Let him draw you to the chambers. Come away to the secret place. Jesus said when you pray, pray like this. That is the bedchamber. Bed it's the place where you shut the door. It's just you and him. I've been so stubborn in my own life. God has to continually bring me back to this simple truth. I just hear him say, Andrew, if the things I've promised, this is the way. Learn to just be with me. And watch how these things will naturally be birthed in your life. So, Lord, I just pray for all of those who had a hard time connecting with you. Or those that they haven't learned to live in fellowship. They haven't learned to enjoy the gospel. They're still clinging just to the reality that their old life is gone. We thank you for that, Lord. But that was unto something. To walk with you again like we did in the garden. And I just pray, Lord, that even starting today, there will be a shift in people's lives to really commune with you. I mean, to really live from intimacy. Like we shared a few weeks ago, I pray we live a simple life and find that if you are prioritized, God, there'll be so much fruit in our lives. So much of what was pressing on us, we'll actually find it was taken care of. Grace will spill out from prioritizing, ministering to your heart and receiving, receiving your love. And so, Lord, I just pray, let there be already just chains being broken that we are growing in our identity as a bride. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next week we'll continue to, to dive into this. I'm excited, so make sure you, you uh, follow along with us. And we'll be in touch during the week with some of the new things that will be happening, maybe even possibly gathering next week in some way. Who knows? So. Stay, stay connected with us. All right, guys, have an awesome week.